I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Connor Morissette, and we will be breaking down USC's 48-41 exhilarating, maybe a little bit of a letdown win in Colorado against the Buffaloes. The Buffaloes have never beaten USC. That streak continues, but it sure feels a little bit different here today on Sunday. A game the Trojans probably should have blown out Colorado, but instead another seven-point win. We're going to talk defense. We're going to talk offense, probably mostly defense, because USC didn't have a lot of it late in the game. As always, if you want to give your takes, and I'm sure you've got them today, you can call into the show 5124-TUNNEL. We'll get to those at the end. You can also leave comments wherever you're watching. We'll be able to put them on the screen. And if you've got questions, write question or leave a question mark there. We'll get to those at the end. I'm sure this is going to be a question and collar filled show because it's not really a win you can feel very good about if you're USC. For sure. And we appreciate everyone watching on YouTube or Facebook or uh, Twitter. So we should be live on all those platforms. And like Connor said, put question there, make it clear because there's a lot of people commenting before we even started the show, like half hour before the show was started, a lot of comments in there. I'm not going to lie. There's some bad takes in there, Connor. <laughs> so but that's okay. People are upset. People are mad. We were at the press conference, so Connor and I just got back from uh, Colorado last night. Basically, went right from the press conference, shot a couple videos, and then had to like you know, read, tail it out of there. Yeah, read Chris's ghost notes on the on USCfootball.com. If you want to like some of the details, we took a rickshaw to get to our car, then drive to the airport, return the rental car, all this stuff. But anyway, we made it home. Uh, but you know, Lincoln Riley getting a little defensive uh, when he was asked about you know the Alex Grinch and confidence and all that, and you know saying that uh, people. Uh, it was untrained eye if you think the defense is the same as it was last year. So I thought he got a little chippy. Um, Caleb Williams, who threw for 403 yards, six touchdowns. Yes, first interception of the year. One interception, five games. That's okay. Six touchdowns. He's got 24 touchdowns through five games. Last year, winning the Heisman, he had 15 at this point with one interception. He looked like somebody just kicked his dog. Like He did not look very happy at all. So there's some of that. But we did hear, and we saw videos of the players in the locker room, cheering like people are excited you get a road win and Lincoln Riley's talked about this players talked about it road wins are important so we get it but it does like you said Jack it's sort of like this mixed feeling this vic did it feel like a victory um yeah people are going a little crazy with it Connor I just saw in the chat someone said at least someone's getting defensive about Lincoln Riley because the defense was so <laughs> bad in that game so just overall after this game USC has a big perception problem Caleb Williams is the Heisman favorite or maybe he's number two to Penix right now on, on Washington Michael Penix either way he, he should be the favorite and yeah. what are we talking about today it's the USC defense and how they go from 
leading 41-14 to, you, you blink your eye almost, it's 48-41, and they're hanging on for dear life against Colorado. And I think that percep- perception problem, it affects the recruiting trail. Why can't you get defensive recruits to come? Well, people think the defense stinks, and they don't want to play for, for some of these defensive coaches. And after a game like Colorado, I don't blame them. So that's kind of where I start. I think as a whole, the team has a perception problem. You see on Twitter, tweets are, are, are saying, USC, the offense is like this private jet awesome thing, and then the defense, you know, no one knows how to land it. That was a bad metaphor, but people are, are, everyone's all over this USC defense. The problems from last year continue, even though Lincoln Riley said that he didn't feel like the problems from last year were the same. I, I disagree with that with him there. So I, I think that's the biggest issue. The team is 5-0, and and that's good. They control their own destiny. There are some problems that are underlying, and it starts on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think you kind of Last week against Arizona State, there were some, you know, some cracks, some bad signs, and the people were upset. And I was like, you know what? It's still a more talented defense. I think we got up here and talked about it. This week definitely felt more like last year. And RJ Abania just put up a story on uscfootball.com breaking down defensive numbers. One of the advanced stats he likes a lot, and I like it too, is yards per drive. Uh, so, Connor, I mean, uh, Jack and I were just talking about this beforehand. Jack said, USC's defense faced a lot more drives than like Georgia or Alabama did, but they're giving up over two points per drive to Arizona State and Colorado. And that's actually worse than what they were for last year. Now, they were a lot better against the terrible like Stanford and Nevada and San Jose State, but those numbers, the last two games on the road in the Pac 12, started to creep up like look like last year. And just for me, what made it look like the, the last five drives for Colorado. Four touchdowns and then one huge play, the sack that forced the, that, that got uh, Colorado off the field. Like it was basically like the boomer bust thing. And there was a lot of bust. There was, you know, four touchdowns on five drives to end the game is not what you want. Especially, I thought they played really well, sort of allow, you know, Colorado was doing the quick passing game. Shador Sanders, you know, he completes 76% of his passes for a reason. He didn't have that high of a percentage, but USC kept him in front of him. And I thought did a pretty good job on the defensive side for that. Then they started to let the explosive plays happen, and that's where you were getting hurt. Shador Sanders at one point, Jack, I, don't know if, I was about to tweet this, because he kept throwing these dink and dunks. He had a 6.7 yards per completion, not per not per attempt, but per completion. And Caleb Williams was like 12.9 or something at the time. He throws that 65-yard pass where Singer, I mean, uh, I'm not Singer, uh, Dorian, uh, uh, what, what's it, um, Damani Jackson misses the tackle. We just talked to Dorian Singer. That's why. Damani misses the tackle at 65 yards. His yards per uh, completion goes up to 9.9. And by the end of the game, it was 12.4. So USC was doing a really good job. You could just look at his yards per completion was really low. And that was good. And they were getting him off the field. Anytime it was third and long, he wasn't able to convert. Then it just got worse and worse and worse. They were converting all the third downs. They were getting big plays. So it... The second half looked a lot like, to me, the end of last year. And that's where now it's like, okay, that's concerning. Arizona State, not as much, somewhat. What I saw Saturday was certainly a lot more concerning. It looked like the Cotton Bowl. I tweeted it out. Mm -hmm. I was watching that game, and I was like, this feels like it's the Cotton Bowl. And I feel like that it maybe it was a little bit different. USC did this time didn't, you know, field a punt at the one yard line, uh, everything like that, and then get a safety. Like that's where the Cotton Bowl took the turn for USC. But this was the exact same played kind of game. And I think what Ryan's mentioning about the defense, like that's the most frustrating part of this USC defense is they're showing in the first half, like they're, they're clearly 
there's potential to be better. They allowed 14 points on their first nine drives. Georgia only faced 10 defensive drives all game yesterday. Like if USC's <laughs> defense was only, you know, nine or 10 drives, that's a good performance against a good Colorado offense. The problem is they allow four touchdowns on the final five drives. Then the one time they do get a stop, USC misses a field goal. It's it's just, I think, an extra, a little bit more frustrating, especially for USC fans, that they're seeing this defense show that they can be good, but then when it falls apart, it really just, it, it falls apart. It, there's there's really nothing there. Other teams can score at will. Enough to where Deion Sanders is going to his postgame pref, press conference and he says, well, if we got the ball back, we knew we were going to score. You knew we were going to score. And to be honest, everyone knew that they were going to yeah, score. Yeah, I mean, three trips in the red zone, three touchdowns. Like, we, you know, uh, Connor and I were in the press box and it, it, I think it was that 65-yard play. It's first and goal from the 10, which I kind of like as a defense. Like, okay, well, you got to go 10 yards. It's not like first and goal from the three. It was going to be third and goal from the five, and you get that the penalty going out of bounds, and now you got to set things up. And it's just the, when USC gets cl- when you kind of give up that big play, now it's like okay, stiffen up. And we've seen some you know good defenses do that, and this USC defense hasn't done it. Like once you get close, it's like your your momentum's carrying you in, and that's ba- that's a bad sign. You can give up a big play, but then you got to like stiffen up, and it seems like you give up a big play, and it just like starts to snowball. The major problem is giving up the big plays on touchdowns because the only yes. <laughs> way a team can upset USC like a Colorado is if they score and they score fast. And so the first touchdown of the game for Colorado, it's an explosive play. Bryson Shaw gets lost in coverage. USC's winning by a big margin, but it's a touchdown. You don't like to see that. Second touchdown, the Shador Sanders run. Rajon Davis and Kalen Bullock maybe should have done a better job containing Shador Sanders, he runs right up the gut. I think Gus Johnson said the parting of the Red Sea. I think it was a 25-yard touchdown run, explosive play, touchdown. The third touchdown for Colorado. Damani Jackson misses a tackle that leads to a big play, and then the Tackett Curtis penalty sets up first and goal from the three, and Colorado scores. The fourth touchdown, Jamil Mohammed jumps offside, and then Jacoby Cummington gives up that big pass when it was a free play for Colorado. The next play, Bryson Shaw misses a tackle and it's a over a 20-yard touchdown for the Colorado tight end. So that's the biggest issue because if they're bending but not breaking, if they're giving up a bunch of yards, getting off the field on fourth down, allowing field goals, the time of possession looks a little different, it, it doesn't matter. The offense is so good yeah. that you can afford to give up yards. You can afford to give up field goals. The thing that kills you is the big touchdown plays, and that's what was so concerning for me. If you give up two explosive plays that lead to touchdowns and, and you walk out of there with a win, that's that's fine. That's good enough. But four big plays that lead directly to touchdowns, you can't have that against no. the Colorado. That was really what surprised me after a really good first half. And I I just look at some of the other plays, too. We can get into it. That they're, they're, Those were some of the big problems. The fact that Colorado was scoring touchdowns when – if he can just get off the field on a, a couple more occasions, you're you're in a much better position. Yeah, even the first half we talked that they played better. They gave up two touchdowns in the first half. They both were explosive plays. The only two plays that went over 20 yards in the first half both went for touchdowns. So, like, like Connor said, it's one of those things where the offense is so good, you can take chances, you can do things. Just don't give up the big play and, touchdown. And, and give up. A, you can give up a few, but the, but the, the fact that they gave up so many, it's like okay, here here we go. Yeah, it ended up being eight plays of 20 or more, and like I think four of them end up being touchdowns. Yeah, you can't have stuff like that happening. So you're, the offense is just too good to allow this. So. On the last Colorado touchdown, it's nitpicky, but Shador Sanders on, I think it was third and six, Jamil Muhammad has him by the shoestrings. He gets out of the pocket, and he completes that pass to the Colorado receiver that set up that final touchdown. I think Jimmy Horn caught the touchdown on the next play after that. Colorado had a false start, and then they scored. So 
another example there, you had the quarterback in your grasp. You could have cut it to a fourth down, and then who knows what the heck happens on fourth down. He gets away, gets out of the pocket. They didn't contain him. USC, the coaching and the, the coaches and the players talk so much about we contained him in the first half and the second we didn't. You knew he was doing that to not be able to execute in that big moment. How can you not be at least a little bit concerned? Yeah. Let's slow things down a bit. The USC still gets the win. They're 5-0 and for the first first time in back-to-back seasons since 2005 and 2006. And you guys got to have a pretty fun conversation earlier today with wide receiver Dorian Singer. That's out on YouTube. If you guys want to go watch that, it's Ryan and Connor getting to talk to Dorian Singer about his life and football and other sports and his upbringing. One of those long line of interviews that they've been able to do. So make sure you guys go tune in and watch that one. But let's slow things down a bit. We can start kind of from the beginning of the game. USC gets out to a 34-7 lead. Eventually, Caleb Williams has six touchdowns. The offense is hitting on all cylinders. What was your guys' perspective from in the stadium of that great start? Yeah, it felt uh, right. You know, we were making jokes in the press box about, (laughs) yep, they're going to cover the spread. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. And it just looked sort of the way... Uh, at least I thought it was going to look where USC was going to, it was going to be a hard time, you know, it would be hard pressed to stop USC from scoring. Um, you know, they got a rushing touchdown, the first one, and then Caleb Williams just kind of goes bananas. And, uh, you know, even if there was a negative play, they did a really good job. This was one of my keys to the game of the pre-snap stuff. Like the, the plays were getting in a lot quicker. They, I think they had one false start penalty. They weren't calling timeout because the play clock was running down and it was loud. It was loud in there. So, I felt like the same thing last year, that the first road environment they struggled in, and then the second one, not as much. You know, they, and they, I thought they handled that really well. And once the offense was like getting the play in on time and it looked pretty smooth, you're like, okay, they're going to be fine. They're going to score a lot of points. And then, like I said, the defense, you could tell Colorado was, they schemed it to quick throws. And even like they were trying to do it on some third and eights, whenever it became third and long, they really had a hard time. The, the pass rush could get, get there. They got a lot of pressures. They didn't get any sacks in the first half. They got some in the second. And it was all kind of going according to plan where there was a there was a Colorado drive where it felt like they were getting like 11, you know, three plays, 11 yards, three plays. They were getting first downs, but just barely. And they had one like 18-yard play that seemed like eternity. And they still weren't even in field goal range yet. They were getting all these first downs. And, uh, and I felt like, okay, so USC is going to say, all right, we'll make you drive the length of the field. And you're going to have to execute play after play after play. And that's how you're going to beat us. And that's I love that. That was a great strategy. If they if they go all the way down, matriculate down the field, and score a touchdown, t- hats off to them. But you're going to make them do something like that. And like what Connor was mentioning, once you just start giving up the huge plays and allow, you know, fourth down conversions and, you know, complete every time they got in third and short, they uh, converted. It was like eight for eight, third and four or less. Uh, I think it was like 12 of 14 on third and six or less. Um, I mean, you got to get some of those stops, but at least if you're doing that, you're kind of making them execute time after time after time. And that was happening in the first half, and they just weren't scoring a lot of points. They got one drive at the end of the the uh, end of the first half that was that was a concerning one, where that you know Colorado was it was going to be 34-7 and ends up being 34-14. So yeah, that's one of those things where you're like, all right, you would have liked that one back. But in the second half, then they start giving up all these explosive plays, and you're like, all right, that's where the the big problem was. But I loved, I mean, the way they played the first half, I thought they tackled better, they kept things in front of them. Uh, the little hitch hitches weren't going for huge run, you know, huge plays. Second half they were, and then they were able to kind of stretch the field a little bit more, sort of suck USC in a little bit. So um, it's yeah, one of those things. I liked the way they were playing for a while, and it just didn't. They weren't able to sustain it, and uh, that was a big concern. 
Lincoln Riley said he felt like it was one of their best first halves of the season. Probably wasn't better than that Stanford game, but really, forty nine to three, uh, really great first half. And I agree. I had a couple nitpicks with the Colorado touchdowns, but if you're up thirty four fourteen, there's really not much to to nitpick. So the fact that they gave up the end of the first half touchdown, fine. By and large, they executed really well, and it was good. The big concern I think you have to have is in the second half, Colorado made adjustments, and you did not respond well to those adjustments on either side of the ball. The fact that they outscored you 20 to nothing to end the game and whatever, I can't do the math, whatever it is after being up 34-14 at the half, that that's a concern. In the first half, I mean, I don't want to say I had my whole story written, but I you know, I pretty much thought what was going to happen, and I okay, another big win for USC. My open was USC got its swagger back, and then... Late in the third quarter, I was like, okay, maybe I have to change this. Colorado then, got its swagger back yeah. in the second half. <laughs> and then the fourth quarter comes around, and I'm panicking, hitting the lead. I had to change that. So I, I think the first half was great. There's a lot of stuff to build on. Second half's a concern. End of the day, like Jack said, you're 5-0. and Control your own destiny. Things, by and large, are okay. But, I, I, I mean, certainly there are some cracks. And I think it's it's just tough to watch the defense have a performance like it did in the first nine drives where you're getting third down stops, you you have the interception against Shadur Sanders, you're getting some pressure on the quarterback. There's a lot of positives that if USC fans were watching you know, last year's game against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game or the Tulane game where they really didn't get any stops whatsoever, like you can't even take away positives from the first nine drives because the last five were so bad. And then USC does get that one stop that we're basically saying they lost games late against Utah and Tulane last year where if they had gotten one stop, literally only one, they could get a win. Then they do, and then they miss the field goal. And I know USC's offense, they shouldn't have to score more than 48 points to get a win, but it does you know, deserve a little bit of the blame for the way the second half went. They didn't score in the last 17 minutes of the game. They missed that field goal. They weren't converting first downs very easily. They weren't shedding time off the clock. They were not a help to the defense. Now, whether you believe USC's offense should have to help the defense after scoring 34 points in the first half and 48 points, you know, about 10 to 12 minutes into the third quarter, like that's a different story. The fact of the matter is they didn't score over the last 17 minutes and it just makes the defense look worse when they're going out there at altitude two, back on the field after short offensive drives and USC fans I know were upset a little bit about the fact USC didn't run the ball more. I thought Marshawn Lloyd ran the ball well to start the game. He didn't have, you know, as easy of a go at it as he did against Arizona State where he was basically in the second level on every single run. Connor and I thought he looked a little bit hobbled in the second half, but still he got, I believe it was two carries in the third quarter when USC was leading by 20 plus points. So it just felt like USC's offense could have done a little bit more to help the defense, at least in the second half, but also in a game where Caleb Williams scores or throws six touchdowns, USC scores 48 points. The story should not be coming in here and talking about the defense. And we've had a couple comments, some of my favorite ones that we've ever had, um, including Uh-oh. Andrew on YouTube said, USC's offense is like a bag of chocolate-covered pretzels from Trader Joe's, and the defense is like the ones you'd get from the Dollar Tree. And there was one other question, or there was one other comment, and I've got to try and find it so I can put it up on the screen, but basically it was saying, it's like you're having a steak from Rex's Steakhouse, but the sides are from El Pollo Loco. That's uh yeah, it's it's tough. And I think there's a lot of fans that are upset in the chat. We've dealt, you know, we would run into them when we were in Colorado, we you know, on the message boards and everything, and, and we get it. It's like understandable. But Jack said, I mean, this is an offense that scored 48 points. It's if you said, All right, hey offense, you scored 48 points on the road in a conference game, like, okay, like what you're gonna nitpick about that? Like that's I mean, that's a lot. Like there's a lot of points to go on the road and score. Washington just went to Arizona. 
and put up 24, you know, or whatever it was. Or th- I don't know if they did 31, 24, but Mike, Michael Penix didn't throw a touchdown pass, you know. Uh, oh, so he's definitely not the highest he didn't throw a, anymore. He, he no, didn't throw yeah. a touchdown pass. Um, so, you know, Caleb is, like I said, 24 touchdowns through five games. Uh, it's pretty impressive what he's doing. Can you score fat, like less? Could you run more? I mean, or could you score, like, you know, take more time? Like, 48 points, that should be plenty enough. And I feel like it, it becomes a, a thing where it's, sort of, you know, sometimes the offense and defense can feed on each other. But then I feel sometimes the defense can bog down the offense where they there is a lot of pressure. Uh, and even though he won the Heisman and he's the best player in college football, maybe the best player in the last decade in college. I mean, he's he's in that conversation, that kind of uh, those kind of accolades. It's tough when you this mode happens, and we saw that at the end of last year where every time the opposition gets the ball, and if they get to steal a possession like the uh, the safety or whatever, or if an onside kick or something it puts that much more pressure on Caleb Williams and the offense because they're like, we have to score because this there's no way our defense is going to stop them. And I think that's something that doesn't help the offense either. So um, it's it's tough. I know I've, I, I still think the defense is better than last year. I think they're a lot more talented than last year. But that's a problem because what we saw these last two games, the points being given up per drive and and some of the, the what we've seen is concerning enough that um, you know, you have the the say, the old saying is like the you know the whole should be greater than the sum of its parts. This is the whole being you know not as good as the sum of its parts. Like there's too many good players that if you had uh, someone else running a different system with the exact same with the exact same players, would your results be better? And it seems it's be, you know I'm I'm if I had to bet on it, I'd say yes. And I think we talked about this a lot during like the Clay Helton years and some of the years where USC was bad and people would say like, oh, this player did, was stinks or he's, I'm like, well, you know, if, if you're losing like Washington State, would you have traded rosters with Washington State? No, you might trade coaches and you'd have a better coach or something if Mike Leach came down or whatever, but you, USC still had a better roster. This defensive roster got a lot better. There's a lot of dudes. Uh, there's guys that are going to go to the NFL and, you know, Last week against Arizona State, Mason Cobb has one tackle. Looks a little rusty. Good. He, he missed some tackles in this game, but he led, you know, 13 tackles. He looked like he was all around the ball. And that's the kind of stuff you want. There's dudes that can play, but somehow you put them all together. It's like the ingredients in a, in a restaurant, you know, and which chef is going to make something really good out of it or which chef takes those same ingredients and it just doesn't taste as good for whatever reason. Like, oh, I didn't salt it enough or whatever. Something isn't working in the recipe. And that's leading to USC giving up way too many points. And that's where you have to kind of fix things. So for, you know, I talked to Harvey Hyde this morning. He wants Lincoln Riley to get more involved in the defense. And, I, you know, he talked about this in the offseason. He had an interesting idea, like Cliff Kingsbury self-scouting, saying, hey, this is what I would do to attack what I see from what you're doing. Can you fill some of these holes? You have to do something because, you know, when we heard from Alex Grinch this last week, it, from what the what, the way I interpreted what he said was they have these metrics like they were getting in a lot of strikes like they were not walking a lot of batters um, you know they 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 weren't committing errors but somehow their ERA was really high so what's going on why are you giving up too many runs when you these metrics you have like we want to get this many strikeouts to keep opposing batting average down whatever it is you're still giving up a lot of runs so you have to self evaluate and kind of figure out what that is and you know. Is it Lincoln Riley getting involved? You have to have something happen because I don't think you're firing Alex Grinch in the middle of the season. 
Um, I mean, there might be some talk of it. When Lincoln Riley was asked about confidence, he was just like, yeah. I mean, he gave like a two-word answer and moved on. So that's not on his mind. But you have to do something because it would be a shame to waste Caleb Williams last year in college. And I'm not one of the people that's in the chat that's like, if they play like this, they're going to lose four games. I don't think that's the case. Like, every game's different. They're going to be in every one. Like, you would take Caleb Williams in this offense in every one of those matchups um, every time. Yeah, they're probably going to give up a bunch of points, but you can outscore people. But I would think you got to give Caleb the best chance possible, and that is, like, not giving up these three-run homers all the time. You have to figure out a way to uh, get out of some of these innings without giving up a crooked number. And I just feel like they have the talent to do it. Can they figure that out? And I'm just I'm not sure if they can. That's the big thing. You don't want to waste Caleb Williams last year. And yeah. Lincoln Riley's kind of a victim of his own success here. The turnaround has been amazing. I mean, two years ago, it's a four and eight season, and USC fans starting five and zero. Oh, that would be a significant thing yeah. in itself. Jack, I'm kind of stealing your thunder, but I think Lincoln Riley. What he's led two five and zero oh starts for the first time as a. Like he's the first USC coach to do that in, in a long time. So the, he, the, he raises your ceiling so much, and he's such a great coach that people are upset when it doesn't look perfect. And it doesn't look perfect, and we deserve to criticize him for that. But it's just remember, kind of keep it all uh, in mind about where, where you started from because a couple of years ago things were really bad, and now you, you're, you have a chance to, to do something special. That being said, the criticism is totally fair. Because Caleb Williams, like I said a couple weeks ago, Ryan, he might be the best quarterback USC has in my lifetime, and I'm 28. Hopefully going to live a lot longer. I think the fact that it's trending in the direction towards, okay, it's wide open in college football. Anyone can win the national championship. USC has this great offense. The offense wasn't good last year, or the defense wasn't good last year. They're not good again this year. Everything's setting up for USC, and they can't take advantage. I think that's why people are so upset, but it's important to keep context uh, on the top of your mind, too. Yeah, and I would say, real quick, Jack, what I would say, the people are like, well, you're never going to win a national championship. This team was 4-8. and eight. You hired Lincoln Riley. He won a Heisman in his first year. Very well could win another one in his second year. He's been to the playoff before. USC's never been to the playoff. To me, if you are like win the Pac-12 and go to the playoff, that is a huge year. I don't care if Georgia blows you out in the first round, whatever it is. I think you would – I mean, I, I talk to national writers that are like, yeah, if USC makes it there, like you give them a puncher's chance because they have Caleb Williams in this offense. So they have a shot. I'm not expecting USC to win a national championship in year two. Like Lincoln Riley's done an amazing job to get where it is right now. I I would keep some of that in perspective. You've raised the bar in your mind so fast. Like, I don't think they can win a national championship with Alex Grinch. Well, maybe they can't, but like they could make a playoff, you know, and I think they still can happen this year. They can do it. I mean, the, the schedule's tough. They got a bunch of ranked teams. There's, you know, to have the, as many ranked teams in the Pac-12 as there are, uh, you know, playing Washington, playing Utah, playing Oregon, playing Notre Dame, who's the number 10 team right now. Just got a big win against Duke. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's all going to be tough, but I would keep in perspective where this team was and how far they've come. Um, it, it's just one of those things that Lincoln Riley's done an amazing job. And yeah, I mean, if you were going to win 11 games every year and go to the playoff every once in a while, like or, you know, when they expanded, you're probably going to go almost every year or every other year or something. That's huge. And then I think once you get to that point, you can talk about what do we need to do to get to the next level and beat Georgia or Ohio State. But you just got to get there first. And I think he's got the pieces in place to get there. I think some people are kind of putting the cart before the horse and saying, oh, they're not going to win a national championship this year. I'm like, I didn't think they would, but I think they can make the playoff. And, you know, if they don't, I think that's 
I'm not going to say it's a failure, but this is a year that they should have, especially how open it is. Like, Georgia didn't look that great. There's a lot of teams that just don't look amazing. There's not like this world-beater team out there. If you get on a roll and you play well at the right time, you can win it. You know, Michigan could win it this year. Or Ohio State could. Or Georgia could. Or, I mean, Alabama could come back, and, and they got a big win yesterday. There's, you know, Notre Dame. Who knows? There's a lot of teams that could make a run. You know, Oregon, Washington. Heck, Washington State. Um, I mean, they're looking good. But if you go on a run, you can do it too. So I would – the whole sky is falling, and they're going to lose four games crowd. Like, I mean, if that's the way you want to go through the season, they're 5-0. and Like, I mean, I guess. But this you only get this for like three months a year. Like, enjoy it. Enjoy what's going on. They still have a chance because of Caleb Williams. And if they can get things right and fix some of this stuff, they have as good a chance as almost anybody. So I would just say temper the expectations a little bit if you thought they were going to win a national championship this year. But I think making the playoff would be a huge accomplishment. And I, to me, that's the goal more than, than anything. With the outside chance, like Connor said, this is a weird year in college football. Almost anyone could win it. The Pac-12 is really strong. You come out of the Pac-12, it means a lot this year. So, I don't know. My little rant again. <laughs> I, I think – I know – People probably think I bring up Clay Helton's name a little too much on this podcast for their liking. Lincoln Riley has played and or coached for USC for about a season and a half of college football. He has already quadrupled the wind that USC had in the final year under uh, Clay Helton and Dante Williams, and he still isn't halfway to the amount of losses. He is 16-3 and three as USC's head coach. He's lost one regular season game. I believe it came by one point. Am I right? At Utah, was at a one-point deficit? Uh, so that's the one game that he has lost in the regular season at USC. The Trojans 5-0 for the first time uh, in back-to-back seasons since 2005 and 2006. So I know that USC fans, they want to see this team be better because this is a team that looks like if it put the pieces together, it could win the national championship. They've got the best offense in college football, the defense 14 points through nine drives. And if we're making pitcher analogies, it kind of feels like that pitcher that pitches six innings, they give up you know a couple hits, but they strand most of the runners. And then their manager says, you know what, I'm going to let you go out for the seventh. And then it all just goes wrong in the seventh. <laughs> yeah, they can't take them out. And it, it just feels like, yes, yeah, so you can't take them out. And it feels like you USC, they they start games and they look pretty good, and maybe they give up you know one touchdown, but then they're figuring it out, and then it just all comes crashing down late. There's eventually that one moment where the floodgates open up, and from then on, it just doesn't seem like USC can adjust. To me, that maybe suggests you know a coaching thing where Colorado made adjustments at halftime after the Shadur Sanders touchdown run. USC didn't really make adjustments, or so maybe it was that they were tired. They're giving effort early on. I don't know what the answer is. But that's something the coaching staff has to figure out. You you cannot not figure the, figure out the answer to that question. You know whether that is making a move, whether that is making changes in practice, um, trying to think of different ways to assess how to improve some of these issues. USC has the talent on defense. They clearly have the talent on offense. That it would be a waste, and I think that's the right word to waste Caleb Williams, to waste this generational offense, and to waste you know a chance here in the last year of the Pac-12 to go to the playoff, potentially play for a national title, just because you. You can't fix these errors that many teams across the country have been able to fix, and other offenses are able to adjust mid-game against the defense. I think it's an adjustment thing, and I think it's maybe that USC is using a lot of its fuel pretty early on on defense, and then for some reason they just can't play without any momentum. Once they kind of get that one play that goes against them, you look at that touchdown run to end the first half for Colorado. Once a play like that happens, or a, or a score happens, USC can't bring themselves back and then refocus. It kind of feels like once that one play happens, the rest of the game, it's going to be scores every drive. Yeah. Some people believe in 
momentum and other people don't. In football, there obviously is momentum. And I think Lincoln Riley has a little bit of a momentum problem, and we've seen it throughout his career. I think he's the leader in 14-plus point uh, leads and then going on to blow those leads in games. He Throughout his career, the offense is so good, but defense has been the question mark, and that's another reason why fans are so upset. Yeah, it's year two, and things are happening really fast. It's good that USC is in this position, but the defensive problems for Riley have been been present since he was at Oklahoma, and it's a reason why the team struggled in the playoff appearances that they made with the Sooners, and now USC, they don't have a good defense. It, it's just been there before. So I, I think with Alex Grinch, everyone's so upset because last year they kind of saw, okay, if this guy comes back, the defense is probably not going to be that good, even if they upgrade a bunch of players. They've done that. They played their two best opponents the last two weeks, Arizona State and Colorado. They've won but it's been at some point in spite of the defense. So a lot of fans, it's rare when fans are correct, and a lot of fans right now are thinking, "We are. I, I had this months ago. I was so right about this last year. I can't believe we're here. And I think that's part of the frustration, too. A lot of people could see this coming, and here we are. Yeah. I think you have to put trust in Lincoln Riley. I do, too. There, that's the thing, and I think a lot of it was the same. You know, we talked to him in the offseason. He said he was going to be working more with the defense. Like The things he said made a lot of sense about the continuity in the staff and how many things he had to fix when he came in here. It took a lot of work to go from 4-8 and eight to 11-3, and three, and a lot of it wasn't about the team. I mean, it was the infrastructure of the football program and the athletic department. There was a lot of work that went into that, and that took a lot of his resources. And then it's like, okay, now everyone's back. We understand what the things are going forward now. We fixed a bunch of these problems. We have more th fixes coming with the new facilities and all that. But now you could focus more like on the team. And it made sense, and the the bodies they brought in, and you know the things we had heard about. Maybe they wouldn't do as many uh, stunts and slants and stuff on the defensive line, which I still think they're doing. But I thought they weren't going to do as much as more running themselves out of plays and things. We just felt like these little changes were going to happen, and the defense would play overall better. And we saw you know some glimpses of it, but the opponents weren't that good. And then you get a couple quarterbacks that were decent, and they have big games against USC, and you're kind of seeing some of the same aspects too. So I think that's what's concerning. I still say you have to trust Lincoln Riley. He's one of the top coaches in college football. Um, I mean, Heisman trophies, amazing offenses, putting guys in the NFL, making the playoffs, you know, conference championships. He's done all those things. And I feel like USC had to get that back. And I think he's well on his way to doing those things again. It is coming at a time though when college football is changing. This is really the last year you can make the 14 playoff and win the Pac-12 is going away. It's going to be tougher to win the Big Ten with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and all that. But you can make a bunch more playoffs. You could finish third in the Big Ten and win the national championship, like stuff like that. So the game is kind of changing a little bit. But you just want to have a team that's going to go out and beat most everyone on your schedule, have some tough games, and some years you'll win, some years you'll lose. And I feel like USC's there. They're doing that. There's a huge opportunity with the schedule that's left, though, to – come out, are you going to be upset if Utah comes to Coliseum and you win 42-41, you know, like the other way as, as opposed to last year? Like, no, you're going to take that. That's going to be a great win. You're going, if oh, Nate Johnson's a quarterback, I don't know. After they Yeah, that. maybe you don't want that. <laughs> if but, Cam Rising's back. But oh. there's some great opportunities here. So I feel like, yes, it's the defense isn't as good as I don't like anyone in this room thought it was going to be after everything we heard and what we saw. And I think that's concerning. But it's still better than it was last year, and I think there's going to give them a chance. You know, they did get that one stop against uh -huh. Colorado, where Utah and Tulane like they didn't get any stops at the end. 
Progress. Getting one stop, you know, you'd like to have two. You wouldn't like four out of five drives. Would like to be in the position, but yeah, maybe two out of those five drives you score touchdowns, not four. But last year it would have been all of them, and so there's a little bit of progress. But again, I would. I definitely would enjoy this team, and I would trust Lincoln Riley. There was someone in the chat earlier that was saying you would trade Lincoln Riley for Kalen DeBoer. I think Kalen DeBoer is a great coach, but he has not his resume cannot you know, hold a candle to what Lincoln Riley's done. And long term, maybe he's better. I don't know. But Lincoln Riley's only forty years old. Yeah, he's accomplished so much. You know where that some of the you know the Nick Sabans of the world. They were accomplished all this stuff in their 50s and 60s, you know. So there is a lot of time left. If if USC's lucky, they'll have Lincoln Riley, you know, until he wants to retire, which is probably sometime in his 50s, I think what he said before. Enjoy it while he's here and let him grow as a coach. And he's still young, you know, he's still young learning all this stuff. But I would put full trust in what Lincoln Riley's doing. He's not perfect, nobody is, but he knows a lot about football. He's won a lot of games. I think he's gonna win a lot more. So I think USC fans are lucky to have him. And we'll see. And I, you know, I think everyone's hopeful that he figures something out on the defensive side of the ball, whatever it is, to get this team, you know, where it's a pretty good defense. I think USC needs to. I, and yes, they've been very good under Lincoln Riley. I echo everything that you said. I think they need to be better at playing well when they're winning by a lot. Like you, you, <laughs> that game should be over at thirty-four-seven. Colorado should not have a whisper of hope at thirty-four to seven. You know, with one more drive left before halftime, even thirty-four fourteen at half. USC was favored by twenty-one at the end of the game, and they were up by twenty points at halftime. They had a chance to take a three-score lead against Utah. I know that. There was a roughing the passer penalty that wiped off an interception. Trojan fans want to mention that, and I certainly understand it wasn't the greatest roughing the passer penalty of all time, but they were still winning by multiple scores in the first quarter in that game. They had a, a decent-sized lead in the Cotton Bowl. They had an early two-score lead in the Pac-12 championship game. If that happened to USC, and I don't think USC has trailed at one point this year at all, but most teams, when they're down by two scores, three scores, four scores, feel like they have no chance. USC needs to do a better job of really just putting their foot to the gas and not letting a team get back into the game after feeling that they had no chance. And I, I think that's you know probably easier said than done. I'm not sure exactly what you can do to remedy that because it, it sometimes does feel like a fluke when it's 34-7 and then all of a sudden it's a seven-point game by the end. But it's been happening a little more often than USC would like, I'm sure. Um, basically, that's how they lost their three games last year. They they led by multiple scores in each of those three losses. Yeah. They led by, obviously, 27 points uh, yesterday. They haven't lost yet to a team, I think, outside of Tulane, where you say, like, they lost to a team they shouldn't have lost to under Lincoln Riley. And he had a couple of those at Oklahoma. I think Trojan fans should be happy that that hasn't happened yet. But also when you're only beating a team like Colorado by seven points, when you're going on the road and you're beating Arizona State by 14, despite the fact it was a one-score game at different points in the fourth quarter, last season when there's games like the Arizona game or the Cal game, and it comes down to Caleb Williams needing to convert on third down to win it, or yesterday, or yesterday needing an onside kick recovery to win it that is not what you're looking for under Lincoln Riley so I know it's only year two I do think that's one thing the Trojans can definitely improve on because they put themselves in those scenarios where they're winning by multiple scores sometimes as late as the third quarter uh, you know sometimes as much as 27 points right before half those aren't games where the other team should have any chance to come back whatsoever yeah I agree getting into the game a little bit more too and I think by everyone here, we all, we all agree. We just got to ride with Lincoln Riley, and, and this year, no one's saying anything different. But looking at some of the decisions on defense yesterday, tough day for Bryson Shaw, especially in that second half. I think he was targeted 11 times, gave up 10 receptions, a couple missed tackles, three touchdowns, so he didn't play well. I think where a lot of people are frustrated is 
Max Williams and Bryson Shaw, they didn't have the best seasons last year. Kalen Bullock was an All-American. Whoever was alongside him in safety didn't play very well. Your USC, you live in the transfer portal. You, you can pretty much get anyone, not anyone you want, but you can upgrade at the safety spot if you, if you need to. And, and yesterday, Max Williams is out. If you had another safety, you knew Zion Branch was hurt after last year as a freshman. He's probably not quite ready yet. We saw a little bit of him yesterday. You, you knew all that. The, the, the second guess is where's the other safety? Because yesterday, Colorado made it a point to target Shaw in that second half, and he was very accountable after the game, and he said all the right things, but he did not perform very well yesterday, and I think a lot of people maybe could have seen that coming after last season. So that's an obvious second guess after yesterday. Yeah. I think it is interesting too, and you know, this is something we haven't exactly talked about a lot. We were told after the first game, Alex Grinch would not speak post game after any game so far this season, and you know, I, I think it is you know admirable that Bryson Shaw is was so defensive of Grinch after the game yesterday. Now, whether Trojan fans or any of us are going to agree with what he's saying, I think it is admirable that a player is sticking up for their leader. But I also don't think that should necessarily need to be the case. Um, I, I, do, I just personally find it a little weird that like the students and the 20-year-olds are the ones defending the ones above them and the ones that are directing them. And I, I, I think it is a little bit interesting. You know, We'd love the, a chance to talk to Alex Grinch after the game. Um, and, and I know that Bryson Shaw was very passionate in his defense, but I do think it is optically a little weird, um, especially after a performance like that. Yeah, we hear from him on Tuesday. So people, you know, and Alex Grinch will answer all the questions you have. I think he's very forthright. He's usually, he's not just giving you coach speak all the time he's telling you what he thinks last week he used a lot of analogies so he'll answer questions and he'll he'll do that uh, but you're right and I you know sometimes it's tough when one side of the ball performs poorly and you're leaving these student athletes out there to kind of clean up the mess I mean the worst it ever got was like when Stark got fired and you had Cody Kessler and Sua Cravens like basically addressing the media like they were the leaders of the team because the head coach is no longer there and and they put student athletes in some bad positions there. I'm not saying that's what happened with uh, Bryson Shaw, but he did come up. You know, he was very impassioned. But it shows you that they're hearing the same stuff too. Like every, you know, when I'm getting texts from my dad just during the game, like fire that guy and stuff. I mean, just people that are casual fans are like, why is their defense terrible? I think uh, someone, one of the celebrities, took a shot at it on game day. Or so who was the uh, picker or whatever? I guess Ken Jong. Oh, somebody! I forget. Gordon Ramsay took a shot. Oh, Gordon, Gordon yeah, Ramsay took a defense. shot. Like you know, so people are just taking another part of the perception problem. Yeah, um, which you know that's fine, but they're yeah. So that's it, it. The players hear it. You know, they know what's going on. Everyone in the chat wants to fire. You know, Alex Grinch and stuff, and Lincoln Riley hears it. I think the frustration is there. I really felt like they would sort of like circle the wagons, and be like, "All right, we have to have a good defensive performance against Colorado," and it looked like they were doing it. And then it all kind of fell apart. And I feel like, I feel like Lincoln Riley felt the same way. Like, okay, we're doing what we want to do. Uh, we're giving up a few singles, but we're not giving up any home runs. This is great, you know, if we want to keep the baseball analogies going. And then it all, you know, went to, went to crap. And it was like, okay, now what do we do? Um, I, you could feel the frustration there. But he wants to be able to celebrate these wins, and I think they should. You know, it, it's not. I get it. It's not easy to win on the road. But it's, you know, it still was Arizona State and Colorado. And that's, it, you know, it's not transitive property. You can't say, well, this team beat this, you know, by this many points and whatever. Washington looked unbeatable. And then they go to the desert and they they look, they they, had a, they had recover an onside kick against Arizona. USC gets Arizona next week. USC might blow them out by 30 points. You're going to say USC is way better than Washington. No, it's just every game's different. These are 20-year-old kids. They're like Jack's age. They're just going on, you know, weird stuff happens. 
And that's kind of why we love the sport. But there's, you know, certainly concerns. And uh, we've gone on this a lot, Jack. Should we just, like, get questions or something? Yeah, we can go. We've got two callers in the queue. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I, the way I kind of looked at it is there's no bad win in college football. But a win can still leave a bad taste in your mouth by the way that you win. So I would say celebrate the win. Definitely it's it's okay to have questions and concerns about the way that it happened and certainly the way that it ended after you know the 34-7 lead. We've got two callers in the queue that we'll go to right now. If you guys want to call in, raise those questions or concerns that you guys have in a brief format. We will cut you off probably past 45 seconds to a minute, but you can call in at 5124-TUNNEL. So 5124-TUNNEL if you want to call in. We'll go to our first caller, Dave from Iowa. He was the first in the queue. Hi, Dave. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. Dave from Iowa, as usual. I got two questions. One, how concerned are you about the rush defense when Colorado rushed for 195 yards or whatever, and they're not even known for rushing the ball? And second, guys, last time I checked, for timeouts, for timeouts, it isn't like college where it's a roll, where, where it's like rollover point system for the meal plan. Use your timeouts on defense to stop the offensive momentum. In both halves, USC, you, you, or in the first and second half, but, but, uh, in the first and second half, both, but, sorry, both ended with USC still having two timeouts. Use them to stop the offensive momentum. I don't understand. Thanks, Dave. Uh, well, sometimes you call timeout on defense and it gets the offense, you know, they get recombobulated. If they were discombobulated and they, like, run a great play, you're like, why the hell did you call a defense? Why would you call timeout and let them get uh, organized, though? I mean, it kind of works both ways. I'd, I'm glad they didn't use them when the play clock was running out. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes, yeah, if the defense is gassed in, the, in um, altitude, maybe you'd want to do that. I'm not a big fan of defensive timeouts either unless you have, like, 12 guys in the field or, or need to make a change. I agree maybe stopping with the momentum, but I always go back to the Malcolm Butler interception in the Super Bowl if the Patriots had used a timeout when the Seahawks were maybe going to score, uh, what that finish would have looked like. How concerned about the uh, rush defense am I? Very, especially in a couple, uh, especially with in a couple of weeks you have Notre Dame on the schedule, and we all saw what their running back did against Duke yesterday. He's probably or he, I think, will be the best running back you play all year. Someone, if, if that's wrong, please fact check me on that. But yeah, coming up in two weeks, you're playing a, a stud running back, and and you play like you did yesterday against Colorado, a team that struggled running the ball coming in. I think you have to be concerned. Now, to be fair, Shador Sanders was sacked a ton. If you look at the non-sack. Rushing yards, they weren't bad. Like they were okay. They were okay running the ball. It wasn't, but they had so many sacks. And then that was a concern too that USC only got three sacks. I wanted to see them get at least five. Like they were averaging over five a game. So USC got fewer than what the the Colorado's average was. So you don't want like Colorado State sacking him more than USC, especially when the number of pressures. It's kind of like it's sort of a microcosm of this USC defense. Like they pressured him really well. They got after him a lot. They only sacked him three times. Like they could have sacked him more. And I think that's you know part of the problem too. Well, I think, I, and I think you have to give a little bit of credit to Colorado. And we talked yep. about it on Tunnel Vision. Oh, yeah. We said they know that Shadur Sanders is getting sacked too much. They will get the ball out quicker. They did. It felt like USC handled that a little bit better early on than you know maybe we expected. It felt like they made an adjustment knowing a potential adjustment that Colorado would make. Then Colorado adjusted out of that. And then it looked like USC didn't have an adjustment. So, yeah. you know, it, it felt like they kind of, Colorado made their first chess move. Then USC made one. Then Colorado made one. And, and USC's like, wait, 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 wait. We were expecting you to, you know, get the ball out quick, do all the, this kind of thing. And then they just kind of couldn't stop the talent after that. They, they didn't make the tackle. So USC needs to get better at making, you know, that second adjustment in game. But I don't think the sack number is completely indicative of the pass, pass rush because they were pretty good at getting pressure on Shadur Sanders. He did a better job getting out of the pocket 
running more than we have seen him because it felt like he was kind of reluctant to run early on as well as they were just getting the ball out quicker like we kind of expected them to yeah. but um yeah. was there you a first to, question too no i that? think i think we that we got both of them yeah okay. I, I forgot connor wrote it down which was good but then if you want i forgot all of them last week I if you want to like have you know you want to like throw stones at this defense when you're looking at the pass right you know, yeah tuli tui Pelotu led the nation in sacks last year but outside of that there wasn't a lot you get they are really good up front right now like the defensive front i think is significantly better that should make everyone else better too. And the fact that it's not, like that's that's very concerning that you've upgraded your pass rush significantly and somehow the overall defense isn't better. You, you have a problem at safety and you have a problem at linebacker right now too. Mason Cobb has a great game yesterday. Where was his partner, whoever it was? Tackett Curtis had a few questionable plays. Rajon Davis, I thought, made a couple of mistakes. Eric Gentry, where the heck was he in general? We didn't yeah. see much of him at running or at linebacker. I think him and Cobb are probably your your best two. And it looks like the staff really wants to play Tackett Curtis. Fine, he's your star recruit. He has earned it in practice. I get it. Eventually, he's got to earn it in the game a little bit more than he has. I think that's an issue too. The front, I think, is great or, or good enough. You know, great sometimes. Not so great sometimes. It's it's good enough. The linebackers, the defensive backs, that's when you've had some problems. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, the defensive line has the most talent of any group. They're clearly much better than last year. And I feel like they're the one unit that has been playing as a group the best. Since that first week, their rush lanes have been much more secure. They've done a better job putting consistent pressure on the quarterback, pressure from different spots. It feels like when one guy misses a sack, there's someone else to clean it up. There was one where Romello Height, I think, had good pressure. He missed the sack opportunity, but Jamil Muhammad was right there with Dejan Benton to kind of pull him to the ground and actually get the sack they feel like they are playing as a group right now and it's no question they are USC's best unit on defense and I feel like when USC's 11 players play together they look like a pretty good defense that's what you get you know to start to start ball games that's what you get for the first nine drives where they only allow 14 points the problem is when when things I guess when shit hits the fan <laughs> USC's Jack. 11 yes, USC's 11 start playing more individually and and then I feel like that's where the problems come up so it's just kind of a matter of playing as a team I think because you're seeing that defensive line do that for the majority of the game but then you feel like there's disconnect between the position groups and there's disconnect in the position groups and guys are making individual plays and that's where the mistakes happen so I think that's one of the one of the things that USC can work on and maybe that comes with time maybe that comes with you know uh, different amounts of games played and you get to the end of the season and it feels like the group has gelled more who knows, but it certainly isn't something they're doing all that well right now. We've got Nick from Virginia still in the queue, and if you guys want to call in, 5124-TUNNEL if you've got questions or concerns, but we'll go to Nick. Hi, Nick. You're on Tunnel Vision. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the call, Nick, from Virginia. Um, First, Connor, I just want to say good job on your article that you released about Bryce and Sean, how actions speak louder than words. Honestly, that, that was well articulated so good job on that Thank um, you. one thing i wanted to say is that is that usc fell down to ninth in the ap poll today um and so i went ahead and looked through the other 10 teams in the in the um in the top 10 and only one team in the top 10 has never trailed in a football game this year and that's usc and we're not talking about one or two games we're talking about over a month worth of football um so i would love to get your guys's analysis on that it, I know the defense looked bad and things like that, but I would just love to get your analysis on the fact that USC hasn't trailed. And maybe the last time, Ryan, you could probably answer this last time you can remember that that's been the case with USC. And also, I wanted to real quick. We're going to cut you out. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, there's too much for one call. Okay, so I don't remember. We'd have to look it up. We could probably ask the SID uh, when that was. But, yeah, never having even trailed in a game. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the schedule, but – you know, USC scored touchdowns on their first drive of every every drive this season. Um, so, I mean, that certainly helps you score right away. They can do that. They can get their early lead. But, you know, Connor's mentioned it where, you know, you've you've built leads and sometimes it, you know, you're not be able to hold them. That's one thing. But, yeah, I think that's – I wouldn't worry about the AP poll. The AP poll is more important than the coaches poll, which is just silly. USC is actually higher in the coaches poll, but it doesn't really matter. You're playing a bunch of teams that are in the AP poll. So, if you beat – Oregon on the road, if you beat Notre Dame on the road, if you beat Washington at home, if you beat Utah at home, like all those teams are ranked in the top 15 or whatever. Yeah, like that's, um, you're going to move up for sure. Uh, it's, it's basically USC hasn't played anyone and they haven't looked all that great. Everyone, I know someone in the chat was saying national media and college football playoff committee won't give USC, they won't let them in. That is completely wrong. USC is going to get the benefit of the doubt. That's why they were ranked as high as they were. I mean, they, everyone knows Caleb is the best player in college football. If USC wins some of those big games, they're going to move up. Like, everyone's going to give USC. They, USC gets it. They get the benefit of the doubt because everyone knows, you know, Lincoln Riley's good. Caleb Williams is good. The brand is there. People want that to be the case. But you've... You haven't shown much, you know, and there are some people saying yeah, USC shouldn't be a top 10 team. And I mean, you could make that argument just the way USC's played against the, the you know, you can only play who's on your schedule. But Nevada's, I think they haven't won a game yet. You know, I mean, there's, there's, unfortunately for the, you know, the USC, you know, Stanford looks awful. They, USC looked good against Stanford, but they're pretty bad. Um, you know, Arizona State just lost to Cal. It's, it's one of those things where you haven't played a murderer's row and, that's where you are right now. Colorado had the most hype around it and probably the most talented team, but it's a first year team with, uh, you know, with Deion Sanders and, you know, the last three games, USC's played brand new head coaches too. You know, you had Troy Taylor and Kenny Dillingham and now, uh, you know, coach prime. So it's just not been that tough. So I wouldn't worry about dropping down a spot or whatever. You're playing those teams. You're going to move up. If USC beats those, if they're 10 and 0 at some point going in, you know, the last couple games of the season, they'll be in the top four for sure. Like there, there is no way uh, like a 13 and one Pac-12 championship USC team doesn't make, they're going to make the playoffs. So I wouldn't worry about that. 
to answer the question, it's just what Ryan said. The schedule's been really easy. And some other teams like Michigan have had an easy schedule, but Florida State played LSU, Ohio State, Notre Dame. They're both in the top ten. Texas played Alabama. Georgia was losing to South Carolina. who They're not great, but they're an SEC team that – I know the SEC's down, but you know what I mean. They're, they're two-time national they're, champions. They're, they're, <laughs> and South Carolina's better than, I, I think, Colorado, I think. So, I, I they'd beat Colorado. Yeah. Um, so that's why. And I, I think that says more about USC's easy schedule than the Trojans maybe deserving to be up high. I don't think that's what the caller was saying. I don't think he thought that they deserved to be higher. I think he was just making an interesting point that they yeah. haven't trailed at all this year. It's all because of the easy schedule. And we'll learn a lot, like Ryan said, when you – play better teams when the rubber hits the road. Yeah, I mean, if they go to Notre Dame and they still haven't trailed in a game, that's pretty impressive. You know, like, okay, like, that's that's something. That know? game will tell us, I think, everything we need to know because their offense, it's good, it's it's solid, it's okay, it's not great. Sam Hartman can make you look really bad. He's, he, he's kind of like that professional. He's not going to turn it over a lot, but he's not like a special, special quarterback. Their running back is really good. Their receivers are above average, but not great. USC, on defense, it hasn't been good, but... It's not like Notre Dame is a world-beating team on offense. They're much better on defense. That game, I think, will tell us how the rest of the year will go. Yeah, he can run. Uh, you got a really good tight end. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I, I mean, know. USC gave up what is 196 yards to a guy that never had a catch before. Like, there's stuff like that is bad. You know, like you don't want to do that. That was bad. And, and I think for USC, there's there's two things. Obviously, if you're a team that hasn't trailed yet in the season. It feels like you should be winning by more points than they have been. You know, yes, I understand that they haven't trailed yet, but they also, outside of the Stanford game, have not really put together a dominant performance against a real team. Nevada and Stanford are two <laughs> of the worst teams in college football. Those are the two teams they have really fully dominated. So it feels like if you're a team that hasn't trailed, you should expect more from the group and not having a seven-point win or a 14-point win, stuff like that. Also, USC, two of their biggest losses last year with Utah and Tulane, they didn't trail in that game until I believe like some of the last plays of the game. So it doesn't matter if you haven't trailed because at one point, one play can change it. And if you're putting yourself in that position and you saw how it went for USC last year when they were in that position, when they lost to Utah and then they lost to Tulane, you start to doubt like, okay, if, if USC gets into a situation like this, can they win? Like you, you almost feel like a Utah or a Notre Dame or an Oregon, Washington, maybe this season, if they were down seven late, but they had the ball, you feel more confident in the team that's losing. And that's not what you want in a team that's going to be in the top five or something like that. So that's why I think USC has dropped a little bit in the rankings, but I didn't know they were the only team that hasn't trailed in the top 10. So that's an interesting stat. Yeah. Great we've, point, Jack. That was a great point. We've got another caller. I think this is the last one. Then we can get to some questions. Winston from Beverly Hills. Ooh. Hi, Winston. You are on Tunnel Vision. Oh, gee, thanks for taking my call. Uh, real quick, guys, uh, SC fans since the Pac-8 days. Yeah, I've been watching this team since the 70s. Um, the new, you know, athletic center they're going to spend millions on, making the Coliseum look brand new again, hiring Lincoln Riley. Listen, they're all in, and I'm an SC Trojan fan. We're 5-0, and but here's my question to you guys. Are the fans being a little unrealistic? This is only, you know, halfway point of Lincoln Riley's second season. Look at how far we've come since, you know, the Clay Helton era. Are fans asking a little bit too much for this team to be perfect? I mean, it's a really good point. And I, I think if you're, you know, when, when Clay Helton, we talk about Clay Helton again, when he was here, he would talk about you love that passion. You love that the fans care, you know, and obviously they do. They're we got 450 people watching us live right now while the you know Taylor Swift is on TV with a, a Sunday night football game. Um, they care, which is great. You want that. You want to see the fans be really passionate. But I feel like you know USC's had a lot of success that people remember. 
Um, there's old Charger fans. There's new Charger fans that were like Pete Carroll people or new ones. And, and you, you know, there's just a sense of, hey, this is a blue blood program. You should be winning. I think the thing you want to keep in consideration is they went so long of hiring really terrible people to not only run the athletic department, but also run the football program. And it's, it's, it was a slow kind of grind to get out of that. But I think they have. I think Mike Bone really uh, made things better in the athletic department. And Jen Cohen just got hired, but I feel like she's going to do a really good job too. So you have really good leadership there. And you need that. And then as far as football coaches go, yeah, I mean, if you had to like write down like who's going to the, – the coach you would want for the next 15, 20 years, like – Lincoln Riley's on the Mount Rushmore of that, of any coach in college football, if if not the number one, you know. he This is someone that, you know, loves that he can be sort of an anonymous person in Los Angeles and not the, the star of the show. He doesn't want to be. He was when he was in Norman. He doesn't have to be in L.A. He's just a regular guy that some people know. And that's fine. I think he likes that. He's going to score a lot of points. He's going to win you trophies. He's going to do a lot of good things with the football team. I don't know if it's going to be perfect. I don't know if he'll ever win a national championship, but he's the person that can get you there. Like, there's only a few people you know, and maybe you could hire some, you know, like Kevin DeBoer might be that guy, or or Land Danning, or, or Kenny Dillingham, or one of those people. I'm sorry to lose my voice. One of those people could be it. But they don't have the resume that Lincoln Riley does. So I feel like you have to kind of put your trust in that and – you know, you don't have to say, well, it's year two, they shouldn't do well. I think with Caleb Williams, you can set your expectations higher because it's this is a once-in-a-generation kind of player. And Lincoln Riley deserves criticism if the defense really does stink. And, uh, you know, we all we all make decisions every day, and sometimes they're wrong. And I, I'm sure at the end of the year, if the defense really fails them and he has to make a change, that's something he would say. Like, you know, I thought we could make this work, and we couldn't. I think he'd be pretty upfront about that. But I don't think you have to change your expectation level, but I would kind of keep a little bit of perspective on how far this team has come and how fast they've they've got there. And do you feel like you have the right guy to bring you, you know, that next step? Maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, maybe it's two years from now, but you feel like you have the right guy in place that can bring championships and more trophies and stuff to USC. I mean, I I feel like Lincoln Riley can be that guy. And if you do too. I think you can you can have high expectations, but also be like understanding that, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a working process and, and and progress, and you know maybe it takes a little bit more time, but it looks I mean it looks really good to me from what he's putting together, and I would definitely be willing to bet you know long term if he sticks around, there's going to be a, a lot more success at USC than what you've seen for the last 15 years for sure. Fans can be unrealistic, and we've seen a lot of comments this week. I think it's not unrealistic to ask for an average defense, but I do think if the defense was average, the same fans would be saying, why isn't our defense better? We <laughs> have Lincoln Riley. What, we're USC. Why aren't we better than average? So I think no matter what, the fans will always kind of have a different reaction. And then it's Caleb Williams. Why are the expectations so high? It's because Caleb Williams is so, so good. He gives you a chance any night of the week. And if your defense isn't good enough, Fans are going to be mad because they're going to waste this golden opportunity to win a championship with this great quarterback. And yeah, a championship's probably a stretch, but you know what I mean? Caleb's a guy who can lead you to a championship. He can get you in the conversation, and right now it looks like the defense can't even hold up its end of the bargain, and I think that's why fans are so upset. And I think it's a legit concern, even though some people take it way too far. Yeah, Stuart Mandel, I think, had a good tweet yesterday at the game of something like, Nobody makes like being awesome yeah, at college easier. football yep. look easier than Caleb Williams does. Like he's really just awesome at college football, and he makes it look like it's not that big of a deal. And you're like, oh, 
yeah, I mean, he had five touchdowns against Arizona State, and you're like, yeah, it was kind of a bad game. You're like, Michael Penix didn't have any in a win over Arizona, and you're like, and he's a Heisman candidate? Like, come on, dude. Like, I, I mean, he's really good, but I'm just like, you've raised the bar so high. And the fact that he won the Heisman last year, he has nine more touchdowns than he did last year at this time. That's telling you something. So he's a special, special player. So if you want to complain about the defense and say fire Grinch and all the stuff, that's fine. Just somehow get joy out of watching Caleb Williams play football because you won't be able to do it in a USC uniform. You know, it's, it's a finite amount of time you're going to be able to do that. Yeah, if Caleb Williams makes being great look the easiest in college football, I feel like USC makes being great look the worst in college football at certain <laughs> times. Like, it just doesn't feel as great as it should be. And I wouldn't say that fans are being unrealistic with their expectations for USC. I think it's more losing a little bit of perspective. This was a team that was 4-8 and eight two years ago. Would you rather be there or would you rather be here at 5-0, and oh, even if you know that this is the way that USC has been winning? And I understand that they have kind of ramped up their expectations for the team because I feel like Caleb Williams has gotten to campus and ramped up what any USC fan thought was possible. I think he's going to go down, and you could argue it right now, and I might, that he is the best USC quarterback of all time. I think he will go down when his career is over as the best college football quarterback of all time. Not resume-wise, because I don't think he's going to win two national championships by the time his college football career is over, but when it comes to talent, when it comes to performance, when it comes to doing those insane things and making them look easy... You could say by the end of his career that no one did it better than Caleb Williams, and I really wouldn't be surprised by that. There's a chance he wins back-to-back -back Heismans, being the first quarterback ever to win two. So I think that is why USC fans have raised their expectations a little bit over the last couple of years. And so I would say it's a difference in perspective as opposed to being unrealistic. You're giving ammo to the fans. We have the best quarterback of all time, and we can't even sniff the playoff, and we're giving up 41 points to Colorado. I, I can see the chat blowing up now. That's funny, but you're you're right. Talent wise, yeah, resume wise, he he won't even winning one. That probably won't be enough resume wise, but talent no. wise, I mean, yeah, I think once the NFL draft stuff heats up more, he's Andrew Luck. He's better than Trevor Lawrence, who was a can't miss. He he's you know it's obvious he's the can't miss guy. And when you have that, you you want to be the best. Yeah, and it's funny because you know Archie Griffin isn't considered the best running back of all time. Yes, he went yeah. to Heisman, but. Um, Have you seen? Looked at his stats. They they are so underwhelming. It was not. Yeah, but if Caleb does two Heisman's, like that's in the modern era of college football, that's just like whoa. And we said going into the season, he has upside on two sides. One, his stats could get better. They're better. Like he's better yep. than he was last year. Like nine more touchdowns through five games is pretty impressive. But also the team could go. I think it's going to go hand in hand. Like he'll keep getting the stats as long as he stays healthy. But if he can get the team to win a Pac-12, now you've increased your resume, you've won a postseason game, you potentially make the college football playoff, and your stats are better. Like That's set up perfectly for him to go back-to-back. -back. It would It's hard to do. I mean, I'm a Heisman voter. It's hard to do. But he had the upside on both sides. Not His stats weren't like Joe Burrow year where you couldn't throw more than 60 touchdowns. There's no way. He could have got more touchdowns. He could cut down on the interceptions a little bit, even though they only had five. Um, and then you could do more as a team. So if he does all that, I mean, he's still the favorite to win the Heisman. That's pretty impressive. So enjoy it, guys and gals. Okay, we've got some questions, and then we can get out of here. Yeah. The first one comes from Earl on YouTube. He says, do you think the issue with the defense is that Grinch's scheme is too complicated and the players are thinking too much, and i got to load it because there's more words, and just not reacting? I mean, that, that's come up a bunch. I, I mean... It's one of those things where if you continue to miss tackles or you continue to like have blown assignments, if you're, you know, if, if I'm the, an algebra teacher and at the end of the semester, 
my students keep failing the the you know the uh, standardized test. You know, like, well, are they all dumb, or did I not teach them right? And I feel like that's you know, at some point you have to say you've got more players, you've had different players, you've had better players, and these things are still happening. You have to kind of look internal, like, what am I doing? Uh, I don't know if it would be too complicated, but you got to do something to kind of get your point across that it doesn't matter if your scheme is the best in the world. If it's, you know, if you have to study a two-inch playbook, and I'm not saying that's what they're doing, it's hard for college students to do that. So you have to kind of find a balance. The best offenses, like when Norm Chow was around, he had an offense that made it when those were, those were a lot of fun. It looked really complicated, but it was simple for the players to run. We've seen college when when Paul Hackett was here, it was super complicated and it wasn't that hard to stop. You wanted the, you wanted something that's easy for your players to run, but it's hard to interpret. You can't like figure it out from the other side of the ball, and it just doesn't seem like that's you know whatever they're doing. It doesn't seem to be working right now. I think sometimes it's proven to be a little too difficult, but I don't think that was the problem against Colorado. I think. It was a lot of missed tackles, like Damani Jackson tripping a couple times. That's not on Alex Grinch and having a complicated defense. That's just bad luck. Bryson Shaw, a couple missed tackles. No one was, like, wide open. There were no coverage busts. There was no obvious, like, how could how could this happen? It was just a bunch of, like, I can't believe they're doing this again plays. Not like, oh, my God, he's so wide open, Alex Grinch. It's too complicated. That wasn't the problem. It was a lot more execution, and then that opens up a whole new can of worms. Yeah, and I think some of the stuff is like when Demonte Jackson falls down and so his receiver catches the ball, there's nobody else to help. Like if he doesn't make the play, you're done. I mean, that's a problem, I think, with the defensive scheme where, okay, so if your cornerback doesn't make the play, it's a touchdown. Like that probably shouldn't be the case. Like that's why – safeties are there and he ended up getting back up and making the tackle and save the touchdown but you give up that one play to you know a little out 10 yard route or something and that's going to be a touchdown if 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 you get beat one guy then you're like okay well why are we do why is that scheme that way why is or why are you relying and leaving that person out on an island i think that's a legit criticism yeah i don't i i would say it's most of the time, not too complicated, but too aggressive. And we outline this, um, you know, there's certain plays, especially in that San Jose State one where they bring the blitz on third and 28 and Chevin Cordero makes one guy miss and then there's no one else to tackle him. So he gets the first down or, you know, there's there's other plays where USC is blitzing when they have been getting pressure with four guys. And then when there's a screen pass thrown to the outside, Bryson Shaw is the only person in the area. He has to try and beat three blockers to make a tackle. Because he's the only person and he can't do it, then there's no one behind him and they score. So I would say it's a, it's a, maybe a fact of being a little too aggressive at times. When you have a, such a good offense on the other side, you don't always need to make the splash plays on defense if, if you just maybe slow it down a bit, especially with a better defensive line now that's getting pressure better than anyone in the nation. They're the number one team in the nation on pressure rate without blitzing. So they, they can have those four guys pin their ears back, get to the quarterback, uh, especially against teams that don't run the ball particularly well. That's something that you can do. So I would say it's not too complicated, maybe too aggressive at times. And the other only like little nitpick thing from the scheme that I as probably an untrained eye, you know, I'm not a coach, but you've got Solomon Bird in coverage on one of the touchdowns over the middle where it's him and Kalen Bullock are the two kind of defenders, you know, playing shallow and deep in coverage. That doesn't feel like you're getting the most out of the personnel that you have in front of you where Solomon Bird's been, according to Alex Grinch, the defensive MVP, not for what he's done in coverage, but for what he's done rushing the passer. So I'd say that's one of the problems. And you've seen that kind of consistently in the in the, in the Cotton Bowl. Corey Foreman was on was in coverage on, uh, I think it was Tajay, Tajay Spears on a long touchdown that he had. So it's just something that I feel like 
that doesn't need to be the case, especially when you've got Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley and the offense on the other side. Um, we've got a couple more questions. Oscar Huerta says, is Dante Williams on the hot seat because of how bad the cornerbacks have been playing? No coaches are on the hot seat. I mean, they're assistant coaches in the middle of a season, and they're 5-0. and So I don't think anybody's on the hot seat. I think you just got to look at it after the season. Too early to yeah. make that judgment. 100%. Andrew on YouTube says, is there a reason Caleb isn't running as much to convert on third down? He ran a few times. They they started the season with like he was doing like some option plays, which seemed kind of silly. You don't want to get him extra hits, uh, but there was a couple times, and I thought that some of their play fakes were really good. Where like it was hard for us to follow in the press box, and he would take off and run. You don't need him to do it too much, but I I thought he was doing it enough to keep things, keep a defense thinking, and keep them honest a little bit. I have no nitpicks on the offense. I know people are upset with some of the play calling in the second half, and they, they could have been better down the stretch, but Caleb running implies that he'll take a hit. You know what I mean? Like, I guess he could slide or go out of bounds. Like, I, I just don't want to put him in danger because he's he's your lottery ticket. He's your winning lottery ticket. Yeah. If, if you lose that, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah, I'd say that's the only reason is they're, they're trying to keep him healthy through this period. They realize this team is not nothing without Caleb Williams, but they're not national championship contenders. I'm not sure they're Pac-12 championship contenders without Caleb Williams, and there's no reason for to get him hurt in Game 5 against Colorado yeah. on the road. And you saw that last year, too. He didn't run very often early on, but once he got to that Notre Dame game and they knew that basically every third down could win them the game or could lose them the game, they took the reins off. He ran for that crazy, you know, the, the Heisman moment is what everyone's calling it, that, that run against Notre Dame. They let, they'll let him run in those moments this season, but they don't need him to run uh, in the fifth game of the season. There's a couple other ones that I was going to get to. Oh, Matthew says, Mason Cobb has been very underwhelming. Why is he ahead of Rajon and sometimes Gentry? Okay, well, he, he had was, his best game yesterday. He, he, was, he played really well. That's what I was going to bring up. Infinitely better than Rajon Davis yesterday, who struggled. And I we like Rajon. Um but Cobb had a rough game against Arizona State, just wasn't, and he was all around the ball. Um, he missed a bunch of tackles because he was around the ball more than anybody, and he thirteen tackles, like way more than anybody else. So he was back. Uh, yeah, he's. I mean, to me, he looks like your best linebacker right now. But I think it should be him and Gentry. Um, the people who are calling for Rajon, I get it, but like, no, he was in there, and when he was, he struggled. Taka Curtis has had some. Flashy moments for a you know, but for a freshman has had his share of struggles. So I, I don't think Mason Cobb is the problem for it, sure. It's never good to to like count how well you play on defense by counting out like the wow plays. But out of all the linebackers yesterday, Mason Cobb was the only one who made any wow plays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, can you remember any of the other guys? I think Tackett had one pretty good hit we saw, but yeah. outside of that, it was like yeah, Cobb was making like the exactly, plays. and he in. I think last week people were frustrated, and he only made one tackle. He was rusty. He he was hurt, and, and I think the Mason Cobb we saw yesterday will be a lot more similar to the Mason Cobb we'll see in the future than that Arizona State game. I think there's a reason he's a captain. There's a reason he, he's in there all the time. We don't trust a lot of people. Don't trust the defensive coaching staff. I get it, but with Cobb playing a lot, you got to trust. He, he's he's the guy. It's him and someone else. The the other guy we can question, but Cobb is that first guy. Yeah, yeah. He had 18 tackles, I believe, that led all Power Five linebackers yesterday. And you know he missed a couple, but like he's around the ball. And I think you'd rather have a guy that makes 18 tackles and misses four than a guy that makes one and misses two or misses three or anything like that or 
numbers close to that. I also think that it Cobb and Gentry are the best combination. I think they played the best. Um, we'll have to see what Shotgun is able to you know look at with snap counts and everything like that. I don't remember seeing Eric Gentry in the second half, and there there is uh, a question saying was Eric Gentry hurt? His lack of playing time has been strange. I don't know if you guys saw anything during the game, but I don't remember seeing Eric Gentry take a second half snap. He played, according to PFF's initial grades, he played nine total snaps so on defense, and he blocked the punt. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a weird one because he hasn't been healthy, so you want that'll make you say, okay, you know, maybe it's a health thing. But then if he's out there on punt block situation, he did block a punt, you know, how hurt can you be? So I, I don't know. That's a good question because I think besides that one bad missed tackle against Arizona State, he's had a pretty solid year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's definitely interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find if there's any other uh, – questions there's a couple that are kind of breaching this same topic and i'm not going to throw any single one of them on the screen but people are just kind of asking about the play calling especially in the second half we talked about it coming into the game that we thought usc was going to run the ball a lot especially against a colorado defense that had been stopping the run very well usc was up by 27 at one point do you guys have any thoughts on you know the second half play calling maybe the the stubbornness to to not go towards the run especially with a big lead we can end on that i would say they didn't look that i mean the run game wasn't looking as good. There was definitely run plays that were getting stuffed or just not, you know, when, when you handed it off against Arizona State, he was picking up a first down every single time, Marshawn Lloyd. And that wasn't the case. Like There were some runs that worked, and there was other ones that weren't. The, the touchdown run was stuffed at the line of scrimmage. He had to reverse direction, and Caleb Williams actually threw a block or got in the way. And, uh, you know, he ends up turning it around for a touchdown. I don't think they were having that kind of the initial success. And that might have been what Colorado was doing with the defensive front. And I think, you know, Lincoln Riley is someone that's going to take what's given. And if he's feeling like Colorado is trying to stop, you know, the, the easy play and trying to stop the run a little bit more, okay, then drop back. And if they're going to, you know, they would drop eight a bunch. And so Caleb Williams could kind of sit there and survey the field. And he found guys open deep for touchdowns that happened a bunch of times. So I, I didn't have an issue with it. I just didn't feel they were having the same sort of success in the run game that they were against Arizona State. I wanted to see them run more against ASU. I was fine with what they were doing against Colorado. Again, you score 48 points. It's like, you know, you want to complain about it? Not sure exactly what Marshawn Lloyd's health status was, so maybe that has something to do with it. Jack mentioned earlier how he came up slow a couple times, and you wouldn't want to risk him getting hurt. For as frustrating as that USC offense was in the second half, they did – get themselves in field goal range. Caleb Williams took that sack that maybe pushed it a little bit too far. I mean, Dennis Lynch would make, I think it was a 39-yard kick or something like that. He makes those a lot. He, he missed it. If Caleb hadn't gotten sacked, would he have made it? They put you in a position to ice the game sooner. So even though it, it was disappointing and you could talk about running and passing a little bit, they, they did enough to, to ice the game and USC just missed a kick too. So you're right though. The the whole, the, the overall point is 48 points. Like, you know. Yeah. Shotgun said Gentry played on special teams, but not on defense in the second half. Yeah, he so, said two two drives that that he played on defense, both ended in punts. Yeah, it's it's weird, and I you know sometimes you don't understand. Like I guess Arizona State Cobb wasn't playing well, and if it's rusty, he played the most snaps I believe of anyone on defense that game when he wasn't having his best game. And you're kind of like, okay, well, why would that be the case? And then. Gentry looked like he'd been playing well and he wasn't getting defensive snaps. It's hard, you know, it's hard to kind of understand what some of the rotations are, but I know some people are going to clamor for, you got to play this guy, you play this guy. You know, sometimes you're like, okay, you know what, Max Williams in there. All right, well, they didn't have Max Williams and they struggled, you know. And everyone has their kind of strengths and weaknesses and, you know, they can bring something to the table. 
but yeah, I don't. I, some of the rotations I just don't get. You don't, don't quite understand. But we're not in the meetings. We don't get to watch the whole practices, so we don't know. But uh, it's you know, there's definitely some curious decisions, I guess, going on. I think it, you know they mentioned that the best players in practice are the ones that are going to play, and I feel like those are maybe the ones that get the first go at things. And I'm gonna, I, you know, maybe it's something that we we ask this week, but. Are those the players that get a chance to go the whole game, or do they reassess? You know who plays well on their opportunities during the game, and then do they you know adjust the rotations based on that? That's something that you know would be interesting. When it comes to running the football, I agree that they weren't having their same success, but also Colorado didn't have a lot of success starting with the run. And Lincoln Riley praised their patience uh, to continue to run the ball, and I think at the end it was a little bit of their undoing with the time management. But I think USC could have run the ball a little bit more, and even if it's not happening for the same success against Arizona State, I believe it was still about a five yards per carry day for Marshawn Lloyd. And at the worst, you're running time off the clock and you're getting the defense a little bit more time on the sideline. So I understand, you know, maybe they weren't having the same success. They know that they, they can pass the ball a little bit better. But at some point, especially when you know your defense is struggling, I feel like USC might have to consider using the run game a little bit more to slow the game down, take possessions away from the other team, and give the defense a little bit more rest on the sidelines. But do you guys have any more thoughts before we wrap this one up and head into practice this week in Arizona next weekend? Yeah, well, first, appreciate everyone uh, watching us. I know we had a whole bunch of people on YouTube, 450 or so, and uh, people on Facebook and people on Twitter. Twitter. So thank you for joining us live. Or if you're watching on the replay, we appreciate that as well. Make sure you go to uscfootball.com. Tons of content going up there. We have so much content. We got Connor now just cranking out the content. <laughs> Chris is already doing it. We have all stuff, videos and photos and all kinds of fun stuff. We'll have a lot of coverage uh, this week heading into the Arizona game. Obviously, Arizona scored a bunch of points on USC last year. We'll see what happens uh, in the Coliseum, they they played really close against one of the top teams in the country in Washington last week, so you can't take that team lightly. We'll have a preview show on Thursday, so that should be a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, we'll bring you whatever we can find out this week in practice. So stay tuned to that. we got a podcast coming up. The Helium Boys podcast will be here. The, the composite two-star recruits, me and Connor, do ours on Wednesday. Instant analysis, Jack will be doing the videos from uh, campus. A lot of stuff coming up. On the, on the YouTube channel and uscfootball.com. So make sure you check it all out. And thanks for uh, being part of the ride. And hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> Here's my final thought. I'll make it quick. Sierra Wright was the top cornerback by all accounts coming into the season. He only plays 14 snaps. Christian Roland Wallace plays 94 snaps against Colorado. Whoa. Damani Jackson played 67. So it looks like right now USC likes Christian Roland Wallace and Damani Jackson as the two corner spots. I just wonder, though, Jackson's play was a little underwhelming. Sierra Wright, he seemed kind of in the doghouse after giving up that touchdown against Arizona State. If I was in charge of who would play, I think it's Christian Roland Wallace and Sierra Wright would be my two picks after the way this season's gone so far. So that's something to watch. And we can see what happens at practice and next week and talk about it more. Yeah, Sierra came in and had a really nice pass defense. And, of course, Christian Roland Wallace had that pick. So that was good. I think Christian Roland Wallace, he's he's showing – he's, like, probably not as – like, Makai Blackman, that's probably a stretch. But, I mean, he's the guy now. 94 snap. Like, he's, he's going to play a lot. Yeah, you know, and, and they're not afraid to change week to week. I, I think it's or interesting, too, you know, that's a position where – you you have three guys really doing all the rotating, but it doesn't feel like it's an even three. Whereas the linebacker, you're getting a bunch of different guys' chances. It feels like they're switching a little bit more often. So I wonder if you know who's pulling the strings there. Is it the position coaches that decide? Is it Alex Grinch that makes all the decisions? Because it feels like the rotation at different spots, it, it's just working a little bit differently. But yeah, that's all we've got for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know it was a you know a tough watch, especially in the second half for for USC fans. And you know whether it is 
too much expectations, too much perspective, or whether well, fans are completely right. I know it's an entertaining game, but USC did win. They're 5-0, and and they'll get a chance to go to 6-0 and uh, when they play Arizona this upcoming weekend. We'll have all that content that Ryan mentioned, and then we'll be back here on Thursday and Sunday with a preview show and then a recap show for the Arizona game. But another night game, so uh, you know, not a morning game. You can sleep in. You can have your drinking at night, uh, Connor, instead of having to do it all in the morning. But thank you guys so much for watching. I'm Jack Smith I'll in studio with Ryan Abraham and Connor Morissette. Make sure you're checking out uscfootball.com for more, and we'll see you next Thursday.